Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined by Emmanuel Chinka. Manu is the founder and operator of Stacked Marketer, a daily niche newsletter for marketers. I am so, so excited for this conversation. I know so many newsletter operators, including some really big names at some really big media brands, but for me, Manu is that guy who stands out because of his professional approach to audience and revenue growth. Manu, there are like a thousand things that I want to get through in our conversation today. Can you maybe kick things off with some background for the listeners? Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So I started Stack Marketer just over four years almost now. Our audience is mostly digital marketers, so people who run Facebook ads, TikTok ads, like we knew where email marketing, SEO, everything like that. We're mostly focused on marketers who are, let's say, in the trenches. So the people who actually open up an ads manager who have to deal with reps and things like that and a bit less and not saying it's irrelevant for them if you're the cmo of pepsi or nike you probably don't want to read ours because it's like too in depth for okay there's a small thing that you might have to tweak on your campaign yeah it's been uh, quite the journey in the past four years now we're at twenty-eight thousand and a few subscribers active subscribers around 50% open rate, over 50% now, but Apple Mail privacy inflates it a little bit. It's unavoidable. And yeah, been uh, been having a better and better quarter over the past couple of years. Awesome. Yeah. And for context, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on as one of our early guests is I think you really have like the professionalism for a newsletter brand down in a way that a lot of other publishers and operators even much larger ones don't quite get right i think you think about a lot of this stuff in a really really smart and structured way so maybe to kick us off on that i'd love to jump in with kind of your perspective on when you're thinking about your newsletter as a business what are the top kind of three four five metrics kpis statistics figures that you really care about and that you're really tracking the main one has always been how many people read a newsletter in a day. So that's kind of the open rate, of course, so that is the main one. So we don't look so much at how many subscribers we have in total, because if we don't clean up our list, we could have had, I don't know, 50,000 something subscribers, but then the open rate would have been proportionately lower. So not more people reading it every day. So we focus more on how many people read every day. And then I don't want to say secondary, but in like together with this, we also care about how the engagement rate looks like. So how often people click, how often they reply, things like that. So that's the main thing that we look at because then, especially in uh, with an audience like ours, where it's like our readers are very often also our sponsors since we monetize through ads, that helps us a lot on the monetization side as well because the more readers we have, the more likely we are to just get inbound sponsors for monetization. And the more readers we have, the better the audience for the sponsor is as well. So that's a clear North Star metric for us. 
Awesome. Yeah, I love that as a North Star metric. When it comes to audience growth specifically, what are kind of the top things you're assessing for there? What are the numbers that you really care about? So we do have, let's say, a target CPA or low cost per action or cost per lead. We generally don't think in the customer lifetime value because that's so hard to calculate. Instead, we think more what's the break-even points if we pay, let's say, $5 for a new reader, so active reader who stays after the initial list cleanup for new inactive subscribers. How many months based on our past revenue predictions, how many months till that breaks even. And usually we can adjust that if it's going better, you can adjust and say, look, the break even point could be six months. If you're like, no, we want higher ROI right now. Let's make the break even point three months, something like that. So that's the main thing we look at. And this is kind of combined because we adjust that target CPA with how many people stay after we clean up the list initially. So we have an automation where we clean up the list of new subscribers who never open emails and that we do that as quickly as we think makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And you're also leading me in exactly the direction of questions that I wanted to go in because I was going to come on to the the onboarding aspect of this. I think you, you think super holistically mm -hmm. and really smartly about this stuff where Compared to most of the, even the more successful newsletter publishers I see, you are very stringent in which subscribers you allow to continue on the list and which you don't and how you decide that. So I would love to hear, well, firstly, you know, what decision you're making that on? Why are you quite bullish on cleaning the list and keeping the list really clean? Let's start there first of all. We'll come on to like the welcome sequence and, and how that helps and, okay. and what you do there to engage people in the first place. But let's just talk more about cleaning the list and why that's important. The first thing you, you would think of is deliverability, which is absolutely true. So if, especially for Gmail, if you have, you know, most of your list opening and engaging with your newsletter, you're more likely to go into, let's say the primary tab or updates tab sometimes then you might get it, it then if your deliverability decreases you might get into promotions tab especially if you're a marketing newsletter you use marketing lingo so it's more likely that you go there it's just unavoidable the more you clean up your list the higher let's say your engagement percentage it's not a formula that you can just calculate it's not like an equation you can put there it's more like a little bit of art a little bit of science but essentially you can think of it kind of like a snowball effect the more people open the more the rest will open and if you do it the other way where most people don't open the less people will open someone who's like in the middle segment of might open might not open will get it sent to their promotions or spam if if you keep growing the list and the engagement decreases so that's a big aspect of it but then we've seen when doing uh, cross promotions so swaps with other newsletters that we can at our small size we can still send, like we have such an engaged audience that we can compare with lists that have four or five times the size in subscribers, but just have lower engagement in the end. So even in that sense, like you have a stronger engagement, stronger readership, and you can build around that. It, it's, especially at first, it might sound a little bit sad. You've worked to get that person on your list and you want them to like your newsletter, but if they don't, it's better to let them go. How are you actually like, practically doing this though because everybody talks about let's keep the list clean blah 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 i haven't really heard too many people talk about how they're actually doing that in practice uh we have three now re-engagement segments okay so mm -hmm. first one which i think is probably the most important one is new subscribers who don't open newsletters we have a segment where we say someone who subscribed on this date and didn't open these emails which usually is the first five newsletters send them a re-engagement email first so you should send one because you still get a few people back and you catch those who for example just have images blocked and they just click a link and then they stay subscribed that's fine and then every single day where we send a newsletter which means every weekday in our case we update the segment but that means 
we check who didn't re-engage, we unsubscribe them, and then we update the date when they should have subscribed. So like five days ago, for example, update the campaigns they should have opened. And then that's the main one, I would say. And then we have one for what we call old inactive. So people who drop off, that's a more common one. We have it at around 40, I would say. So around two months worth of email. So if they haven't opened in the last two months, send them a re-engagement email as usual. And then similar style here, if they haven't just uh, delete them. And then we have a new one for Apple Mail privacy subscribers, I would call it, which essentially is someone who opened 100% in the past two months, but never clicks. You should probably send them a re-engagement email to see if they're Apple Mail privacy users. You should tell them very clearly, like, look, we know you, it shows that you open, you're probably opening, but it very could well be the case that you're using Apple Mail privacy. We won't bother you after you click this link. We just want to know that you're still interested. You're a real person, still interested. You're not uh, Apple's proxy that just loads images and says that you open the email. I think the main difference from what I've talked to other people is that we literally do it every week. They like every time we send, like we don't just do it once every six months. And then when we really started out, I did think like, okay, we can just do it once in a while, but you can't because you lose people who actually don't open because you only choose once in a while rather than every single time. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So you, you are like, you can't just click the link once and then you're, you're good forever. You have to be reminded maybe at some point in the future again, if you're still not showing. I have a question, which maybe this is going to show my ignorance, but I understand like the main thing is like the deliverability implications and the, the list cleanliness. Have you considered just take the portion of the list that they're considering kind of like the, the not clean, the not engaged part and sending them the exact same emails, but from a completely different domain, completely different account and just having them as like the, we'll keep sending you emails because you seem you might still be interested, but we're going to do it in a way that doesn't kind of harm the, the brand. Have you, have you considered that? In a way it makes sense, but it's extra work for not much extra value, sure. I think, because for example, when you monetize through sponsorships, for example, uh, specifically in our case, you cannot really put that as reach, right? Like for example, do you put it as open as clicks as you don't get much out of it. And uh, the final thing is like in all likelihood, unless you are preparing to exit for people who care about subscribers. So like they actually want the email, they don't care if you open or not, unless you want to show like a huge growth in subscribers and in reach that way, because that's a key metric where you're raising money or you're wanting to exit or something like that. I think it doesn't make sense to do it because in the end, they don't care about you anyways. You're working for someone who doesn't care that you're working for them. It's borderline spamming, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, that's me told. So let's talk about the opposite side of that. We're talking there about like the list cleanliness and cleaning the mm -hmm. list. Let's talk about getting people engaged in the first place. What does your process look like there? Uh, we do not use double opt-in, which I guess would be a question that a lot of people have, but we do have, I would say pretty good welcome email where we ask people to do a few things, but we played around with this. First off, you should write your own welcome email text. Don't just copy what others do. Cause then it's been used so much. It's been beaten to death that you'll get sent into promotions or spam. So less people open, less people engage. You're starting on the wrong foot, write your own. We asked them to add us as contact or drag us to the primary or updates tab. Uh, if they're using Gmail, we do not include the GIF anymore, for example, because images in the first email might too many images might not be good. We then ask them to click a link to help, which Gmail likes quite a bit. But the key thing that we've changed in the past year or so, I would say, 
is asking for a reply. And essentially what we say there is like, hey, you're new here. We write an annual report with, where we publish more insider info, like revenue, expenses, plans to grow, things that work out, didn't work out. And then we say, if you're interested in that, give us a reply and then we'll send it to you, which works out quite well to get replies as engagement as well. Then it also, for some, not very often, but for some, it becomes a starting point for a conversation. They tell you more about what they do. Aside from like our survey where we ask people to tell us what they do normally on the thank you page, but essentially it gets people to know you better because you, in our case, like they read the annual report, they're like, okay, so this is what these people do. Uh, okay, I get it. Let's see what their newsletter actually looks like. And those sort of all those engagements put together are quite helpful. Yeah, that, that's an initial welcome email. Do you send further ones after that? Do people kind of go straight into the, the daily flow? What does that look like? After that, they go into the daily flow. And we do have, in the past few months, we've started adding after seven days. I forgot exactly how many days. Essentially, if they are not inactive after the first few days, so if they stay after the new inactive segment kicks in, they also get one email telling them about the referral program. But that's something that we still have to optimize and change around. But I think we had it at first, then we switched it out because some people unsubscribed from it, but now we added it back in. It seems to be better with it in. Again, moving us neatly on topic of referral program. What else are you doing growth-wise? What are the, the kind of the main channels that you're seeing in terms of that are really moving the needle in terms of audience growth? We've had good results with swaps regularly. So other newsletters, those work out pretty well. So I would always recommend any newsletter to try to find some newsletters, a group of newsletters that you regularly work with. And by the way, we did actually use in some cases the Sparkloop magic link, definitely helpful. It's just something for always to keep in mind how it's presented, like make sure that the other person who's doing the promos explains like, look, you're gonna be subscribed with one click. The referral program started really well. Now it's been not so good anymore, but we actually are in the process of changing it. We run a survey with our readers to get an idea of what better prizes they would want. So we got like a few hundred answers. We'll go through them and figure out something new. And I'm not sure when this is gonna be published, but let's say in April of 2022. So in a few weeks from when from today, then what has been working quite well for us recently is TikTok ads, Facebook ads as well, but using TikTok creative. So essentially working with TikTok creators who are in the marketing, digital marketing niche, who provide content around this topic, making content for us, then using that content as ads. Both for organic, it can be a nice boost, and then using those with either Spark ads or just your own ad account, or not ad account, but like your own account to uh, post them has been working quite well for us. Those are the main things. And the occasional giveaway, we've had a pretty big one recently, which has been good. We would have hoped for better, but we've made some mistakes, so it happens. I'd love to hear in a little bit more detail what you're doing on TikTok and how you actually do that step by step, because I think that's something that there's a lot of buzz around at the moment. Not too many people in the newsletter space doing it. I know Morning Brew was pretty early on this and did very well on that, like they did with pretty much everything else. But other than them and you, I haven't seen too mm -hmm. many newsletter creators doing well, newsletter publishers being successful with growing on TikTok. So I'd love to hear what's working for you and how do you even approach this? Can we get a little bit more like of a, an insight? I think it's just about putting in the time. So uh, around six months ago, we hired someone to handle growth. So like to be the mm -hmm. main person responsible for growth. And that's how basically the key thing that helped a lot. So of course, there's two aspects of it. 
knows better than me what to do when it comes to growth with other experiences before and then has the time to actually go into these things because we have ideas like we still have way more ideas to grow but implementing them is a different thing essentially it's a lot of manual tedious work like you go on certain platforms that you can like initially you can search by hashtags and keywords on tiktok see who posts about marketing about e-commerce about whatever your topic is then put all that information in a spreadsheet try to contact them over tiktok instagram email whatever sort of contact details they leave because usually we'll have some contact details there and then try to find a deal over email. My recommendation is make sure you have a clear ask of what you want them to do. So a promotional video or several promotional videos. What's your budget there? The small to medium creators won't have a perfect process. So you have to be the one leading it and asking what you want them to do. Then yeah, that manual process is essentially the key there. Um, there are platforms that can help you now, I think. And depending, if you're mainstream, you probably have a better chance at using those sort of hashtag paid, Upfluence, Billow, those sort of things might be a little bit more useful for you. But if you're doing marketings, like B2B, you really need people who actually know the topic. You cannot have, though it sounds great, I'm not sure how great it would be for us, like how profitable, how useful if Kim Kardashian would promote us. Yeah, sure, we'll get traffic, but. I'm not sure people care about us in her audience, unfortunately, so. Sure. And what kind of creative are you seeing working well for you there? We don't have a huge amount of guidelines. We let the creator think about that. We've shown a few examples and then we tell them, look, you're a marketer. What would your audience like about our newsletter and put that in a video? Some guidelines usually include like, you know, scroll through the newsletter to show how it looks like a little bit. Make sure you mention the website. Awesome. And last question on that. Are you driving them or are you suggesting that people sign up for the newsletter specifically? Or are you using some kind of lead magnet, freebie, downloadable? We haven't used lead magnets and I'm not a huge fan of them. I guess it, they can work in some situations, but you want your readers to come to read your newsletter for the newsletter. And again, if you're looking for readers, I think that's a little bit better. If your metric of subscribe total subscribers is more important for whatever reason than a lead magnet i think is definitely useful but the one thing we do is we use the lead ads format i guess it's the same on tiktok and it's called the same so the lead ads format so we don't have to bring people to our website we just have an integration with zapier or zapier whatever they're called and then yeah that gets pushed into campaign monitor Make sure you activate that people get the welcome email as well. There's an important part there and that's essentially it. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Brilliant. I want to move on from there if it's okay with you to talk about um, something I, I know that you're kind of really passionate about and that you think a lot about, which is the, the monetization side of, of things. What would you say are the like the, the benefits, the pros and the cons of monetizing via, via sponsorships, via ad revenue? It will depend again a little bit on your niche. I know I start a lot of the answers with the it depends part, but I'm just giving it our own perspective. So from stack marketers perspective. I think the main con of sponsorship ads is that you do have to find sponsors. So like you have to, uh, you depend on someone else to pay you or like, like you have three sides of the business. You don't have just two sides, right? If you have a paid newsletter, a premium newsletter, it's just between you and your readers, your subscribers who pay you. And that can be better in certain situations and it can simplify things, which is great. So a big con for this is that you add a third party involved. Like you add, you have three sides involved. You have your reader, you have yourself as the creator or the newsletter writers as a team, 
and you now have a sponsor and you have to manage all these sides to make sure that things are aligned. I don't think it's that hard, but it is a con and in some situations it might not work. The pro of the situation though is still the best way to... So it, unless you're someone who has very in-depth domain knowledge and you're already a proven expert, I don't think people will pay for what you have to say, but people will check your free stuff and then you can still monetize that through sponsors. And then a big pro if you're in a B2B type of audience, like we are with marketers, is that your readers are your sponsors very often. So then it will be easier to get sponsors that way. But those, I think, are the main differences. Are you a huge expert with some existing reach, like some of the crypto people that have that, some of the fin tweet, fin tweet or whatever <laughs> crowd that really has an audience already and now they pay for, they ask for, a subscription for their newsletter because they bring in more insider info totally legitimate and i think people trust them already but they already have the free content on their social media so they have some proof there they have reach if you're starting out you're not you're a nobody i think you need to start with free content but it doesn't mean you should be unprofitable with that and that's where ads come into play and then you have to manage that relationship of making ads that are in, well integrated with your content so yeah and it's not an either or you can have ads and a subscription you can have ads and yeah, paid uh, products although it's although if, if it's ads within the paid one it's very difficult although i've heard dios is doing that yes i, I saw that as well what is it six six hundred dollars a year or something yeah you're paying and you're uh, getting ads you're like okay interesting we'll dive into the specifics a bit more in a second but what would you say like in your opinion are the big mistakes that creators publishers will tend to make when they start trying to monetize and the biggest one is clearly not knowing their numbers. So I've been on the, the side of trying to buy, spon like buy sponsored ads with other newsletters. They don't know their how many people read a newsletter. So they talk about open rates, sometimes about total open rate, which means if I open 100 times, I count as 100 opens. Don't care. You just care about how many people, unique people open their newsletter. And then an even even more common issue is that they don't know to differ, differentiate or sometimes that I think Substack doesn't tell the difference between unique clicks and total clicks. What you care about as a sponsor most often will be unique clicks because you care how many people, again, are interested in your product. That's a good sign of intent. So knowing these two numbers and putting them together will make you ahead of 90% of the average newsletter. Even if you're, if you have 5,000 subscribers, you can compete with the 15,000 subscriber newsletters. You can show, look, actually my engagement and the traffic I drive to you is still comparative to that. That's the, the main thing that they maybe are, are getting wrong or mistaken. What other things should people be, be looking out for? Figuring out pricing is not super easy. So I guess pricing is something that people can get wrong. Although sometimes they get it wrong in favor of the sponsor, I would say. So sometimes too cheap, sometimes too expensive. They don't report after the newsletter has been sent. They don't have any process after the one ad has been done. So they don't have a process to get you to buy more ads or they don't have a process to at least report on performance. And don't get me wrong, I get it. It sucks to report when performance is not good, but it's better than not reporting. Some people do three days, some people ask 24 hours. We do one week late or like approximately one week later. So every Tuesday we send out our reports to everyone who's been in the newsletter the previous week. One mistake that I've seen, in my opinion it's a mistake, doing too many things the way the sponsor wants. So I think you should know your audience if you're a newsletter writer and insist that the sponsor does it your way more than their way. 
So things like not being necessarily the first one in the newsletter, length limits, even the wording to use. I think sometimes sponsors insisted on writing their own copy, and I've not seen that outperform our copies. I think it's a mistake that some newsletter writers do. You should be the one writing the copy for your audience because you know how to write the way they like. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's amazing advice if the newsletter you're sponsoring has a really smart, engaged writer who's going to put some effort in. <laughs> you already mentioned pricing being being a bit of a challenge. Do you have a couple of minutes to spend on walking us through yeah. what you think about like setting up pricing and, and packaging and that kind of stuff? And packaging and that kind of stuff? The main tip I would give is not to look just at newsletter. Look at what are, are the other ways to reach the same people that you have on your newsletter and then try to create a pricing around that. If it's super cheap and easy to reach your audience on Facebook, you cannot price it too high. If it's extremely hard and you're competing with, let's say, LinkedIn because you're B2B and such, then your costs can be much higher because it's just a harder audience to reach. Uh, the way I looked at it very, very early on, so almost four years ago, it was how expensive would it be to do, uh, what are they called, sponsorships or let's say have a booth at a conference for marketers. Of course, you can you have to lower it much, much more than what it costs at a conference, but you cannot just say like, okay, it's 5% of that or 1%. It's still the same people and maybe they even have more attention for an online product than at the conference where they're going to party. So, yeah. you know, adjusting from conferences, then other publication in your space, maybe they don't have a newsletter, but maybe they have a Facebook group, maybe they have a community, maybe they're ad week or ad age. You have to compare a little bit and try some pricing out. And then you put a pricing out there and you try to work it out with different sponsors. Don't be discouraged if the first three, four sponsors don't like it. I do think it's good to have, let's add a swaps or some sort of discounted rates at the very beginning to get some data in how your, how your readers will react to sponsored posts and work them out and improve them from that point. It's better to try to sell packages it, it, it's funny because of course you want to sell more so it is a win for the newsletter but in our experience since since we started selling only more than one newsletter or like one sponsored placement at a time our return rate for sponsors has been going like from 33 percent and now has been increasing even more so it was it used to be like 20 25 percent when we allowed one but since we stopped allowing one it's been much higher so you have you have two things there you have a better chance of, uh, of using several messages to promote that certain product because you're not going to hit it from every single time. Like we have sponsors who's been, who've been with us for two plus years. Sometimes the campaigns bomb, but they know that most of the times they'll be quite good. So they come back. It's fine. But if they would have had only the one and it bombs, we never see them again. <laughs> That's one of the reasons you want more. And you have to explain to them, look, if there is a specific reason if we try a few, few messages it's more likely to work you usually you'll be talking to a marketer on their team and they should understand that because it's the same for everything it's the same for ads it's the same for a referral program you have to test it if you can't just do it once and say well this doesn't work this is silly let's go and do something else yeah and, and the other thing is when they have only one placement they try to put everything there usually what i would suggest for our cases are have one strong value proposition and that's it don't go into putting everything in the kitchen sink that in the in that copy that it's not going to work it's unfortunate that's the truth but you cannot just put everything and then expect it to work so you have to focus more on like strong value proposition one time and that's it yeah i love that and it's interesting do you ever look at i guess newsletters that that kind of your sponsors and people who would sponsor your newsletter are sponsoring and see 
what prices they're charging because I had a really interesting experience as the sponsor here at Sparkloop the other day. We sponsor kind of newsletter and media industry related newsletters from time to time. We get pretty good results on those. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to two and we actually did some some ads in, in one. And then uh, we had another one that had a very similar audience. It's almost exactly the same newsletter, almost exactly the same size. I would bet there's like a 20 to 30% like audience overlap in terms of like email addresses, like a lot of the same people on both of those lists. And one of those, the one that we sponsored first that we were happy sponsoring, it cost just over 10 times as much to sponsor that one as the second one. They were charging so little compared to what they could be charging. And I did tell them after they'd agreed to the price <laughs> with us, I did say, look, you, you should be charging a lot more than this. Here's what these other people are charging. But it's amazing how much of a wild west it is out there. If, you, if you're charging too little, it's very rare that people are going to be nice enough to tell you, I think. So I looked at the very beginning when we started out and then before COVID hit or like around that time. So that was what, 2020? So two years ago, so 2020. I asked for two reasons. One, I was curious about the pricing, of course, but then a lot of uh, publishers in general had big discounts in that period. So I reached out to see if we can afford to sponsor them because that was a good time to try to get some newsletter ads going. And we actually did do Morning Brew, The Hustle, and 1440, which were all good results for us overall. But the main thing was like, I also reached out to AdAge, AdWeek, uh, all the industry dive newsletters that might be relevant to us. And then I saw like, okay, we're kind of not too cheap. We can bump up the prices a little bit more, but we also have to show a little bit more demand. So we have to improve our return. I actually got an idea about the pricing overall from the ind- for the industry that way. So it definitely, it's true what you say, but you have to look at two things. So you have to look at their pricing, but then you also have to look, are they selling those sponsor slots? Because you'll, you often have, this is the price or this is the value, retail value, retail price of it. And then you're looking at it and they don't have a sponsor ever. So obviously that's not great. So you have to look at it and see, okay, do they have more, at least more than 50% fill rate? So probably 75 is what you want or more. And then if they do have that, then you're like, okay, this is the right pricing for their audience. How are they pitching it? What are their value propositions? Because maybe you're not promoting the right value proposition in your media kit or anything or something like that. And then you cannot charge so much or the longer you've been in business, the more associating with your brand will matter. And then you can charge more. So kind of adjust for those things. Starting out, you have to charge less, but don't be, as you said, don't go 10 times lower or something like that. Look at what the others are charging and adjust. And then, yeah, you'll, you have to test things out, not necessarily as you test Facebook ads, but see what happens. And maybe one piece of advice there with pricing is it's, it's easier to offer a discount and people want it than it is to bump up the prices. So you should rather charge too much and sometimes give a discount in certain situations, maybe for volume, maybe for days that usually don't get booked or something like that. But it's harder to increase your prices than it is to decrease them. So just think about that when having the pricing that you want, it's like choose one and then add 25% and then work from there, something like that. There are so many different ways to negotiate without decreasing the price as well. You can say, this is our price, that's too expensive. Oh, well, let's add in one additional send. Instead of doing four, we'll do five or something like that. The main thing that we've done is volume. And since we have three placements per newsletter is if someone is booking, you know, last minute placement, we have, there's still a minimum for us, but we're more open to selling that at a lower price than usual. So if it's, it goes for this or slightly more amount, then it's pretty good. 
there are sometimes specific days that don't sell so well, like holidays in the US might be harder to sell. So maybe you can say like, look, if you book this date, it's still gonna be the same open rate in the end, but it's gonna be slower. If you want that date, we can give you a little bit of a discount on that or something like that. Got it, yeah, I love that. Can we finish maybe just quickly on, I guess on any quick tips that you have for people when they start selling sponsorships? So have a good media kit that you can send to people. Make sure it contains those numbers that I talked about. I think it's good to include some testimonials, both from readers and from sponsors, past results. Show them how the placement actually looks like. In our case, we're lucky enough that many people are inbound, so they actually read our newsletter, so they know how a sponsored post looks like, but most people probably won't have the same luxury as us. So show an actual example of how the sponsored placement looks like, what results it can get, averages. So I'm more oriented towards numbers and testimonials, those two combinations. Put information about your readership and put information that's relevant to your sponsor. So for example, we don't ask the gender, like why would it matter if you're doing marketing, what gender you have, we don't ask that. So we just ask things around what sort of marketing they do, how much revenue they generate or how much money they spend on different platforms, things like that. Like we don't, it's more B2B oriented. It's not like what's your household income. Not so relevant in our case because we're not promoting athletic greens. We're promoting like, uh, I don't know, um, what's a good example? What was today's most? Like campaign monitor. Focus on that sort of information. Then make sure that your readers know that they can sponsor your newsletters what we've done several times and it has been helpful we don't do it anymore because we don't need to but when we started doing sponsorships every once in a while when we and if we didn't have a sponsor we would just include that it's sponsored by could be you or something like that and explain look if you want to sponsor our newsletter this is what where your sponsored post would be here is more information reach out to us things like that that's good so those are some of the things ask your readers would be the main one ask people in your network tell them who your readers are and talk about what you could offer and at the very beginning i think i mentioned it before don't be too shy about asking for swaps to get some data about how your readers would react to sponsored posts what engagement they get learn to make your sponsored posts better and more engaging and then taking it from there i think that's kind of it it Awesome. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that's, that's a really good. I think I might have mentioned it in private or something to not just you, but a few people. It's like your open rates are getting higher because of Apple Mayor privacy. So you're not doing anything better in the past six months. That's why you have 50% open rates now. So unless you clean up your list, you're going to end up with 70% open rate and uh, nobody's actually reading. Just FYI, you should be doing some list cleanup for Apple Mail privacy users because otherwise, you're, I don't know, the emperor has no clothes at some point. People will start telling you that. And we've noticed that sponsors specifically look more at clicks as well. So sponsors know this as well. They're not dumb. They look not necessarily at CPM or impressions. They look at what's going to be the cost per click. So if you're monetizing through sponsorships or if you care about actual readership, Apple Mail privacy, huge impact. Unfortunately, the reality is you probably didn't do anything better recently. That that's, and that's why your open rates went up. That's the unfortunate reality. Harsh truth, <laughs> yes. but better for the future, more productive. <laughs> Indeed. And where can people find you and get more harsh truths from you? What's the best place to do that? Uh, still, stackmarketer.com is the best. We share a lot of the things and I write some of the behind the scenes stuff that we share. So we've shared, actually just recently, I think it was two days ago. So if you go to stackmarketer.com in our 
past newsletters and you could check 15, 14 March, something like that, maybe 16, I forgot. We'll include the link in the show notes, yeah. You might see like, what questions do we ask our sponsors to write their sponsored posts? So you might want to have a simpler creative briefing. So we share a lot of those stuff in our newsletter as well. If you want to subscribe, great, obviously appreciate it. If not, you can still check our archive once in a while. I might talk to Louis once in a while about these things. So yeah, that's the best place to uh, follow what we've been doing. Yeah, I love that. I love that you had a teardown recently about the the big giveaway that you ran together with, with a sponsor. And yeah, the, yeah. Um, I think a, a while before that, you reported back on the, the referral program and, and how that stuff was going. So Yeah, and now really we'll change the referral program, so we'll have info on that as well. So in April or so, April, May, let's say May, because we'll take a little bit to get some data, we'll have more info about what prizes work and didn't work for a referral program, how it was before, how it is now, hopefully better. Yeah, and I'm going to try and drag you back in to talk about <laughs> that exactly, because that's obviously a, a topic kind of near and dear to to my heart especially well Manu thank you so much for joining us I hope you have a great rest of the day thanks for having me been great thanks for listening to this episode of the send and grow podcast if you liked what you heard here are three quick ways that you can show your support number one leave us a five star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice number two email or dm me with some feedback with your questions forward suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.